Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Breaking Social. So typically, we would have a guest on that we'd interview about their experience in marketing, more specifically social media. But today, it's just going to be a conversation with myself and Alex. And more specifically, today, we're going to be talking about TikTok. In this episode, we're going to be starting at the very basics and working all the way up to what we'll call expert level TikTok. So talking about things like how the algorithm works, how content is served to users, all the way to, you know, leveraging social dynamics and how people um, form opinions um, to be able to essentially change opinions online through certain campaigns that we've done on TikTok to date. In case you didn't know, uh, TikTok is... This is a a fact, by the way. TikTok is now the most visited domain in the world ahead of Google. Um, So it is, well, it's still the fastest growing app in the uh, App Store as well as of this quarter. So it's a bit of a powerhouse. We have found many different ways to be able to leverage this platform. Um, We've worked on it for numerous years now and spent multi-millions of pounds on their ad platform. And so today we're going to talk about our experience and how you guys can all leverage the platform to its maximum potential. So let's start off with how we first knew that TikTok was going to be a really powerful platform and what things really made that very clear to us? Mine was, it wasn't necessarily TikTok specifically where I noticed that that type of content was going to be massively popular. It came from Vine, like way, way back in the day and like meme, short meme videos and like very, very short form content that everyone thought wasn't really going to work. And then Vine obviously never found a way to monetize itself as a platform and died a death and it was a real shame and everyone thought that this Vine 2.0 whatever was going to come out and then I don't know the exact timelines but then musically started to come about didn't it and that that was sort of a you could overdub different tracks and create content that was you doing lip syncing or dancing and things like that and that sort of was gaining a little bit of traction in the background but not anywhere near as much as Vine had and then it turned into TikTok it was purchased by ByteDance and turned into TikTok and they had to deal with this kids dancing and lip syncing platform and turn it into uh, the the TikTok that it is today mm. and I think we picked it up just before they'd really gone through this transformation of turning it into the mm. TikTok that it is today yeah and we were still dealing with that stigma of it being a kids dancing platform and a lip syncing platform. You're right. That is when we got, like when we started to operate on that platform, there was still the perception that it was kids dancing on the app. Why did we decide that it was still a platform worth operating on and not, you know, a lot of the clients that we first spoke to, they're, they're, or a lot of people that we don't actually work with because their initial impression of the platform was it's literally just for kids. They dance to music on the platform. Why did we not think that? I think we naturally found ourselves spending more time on the platform. Yep, so we, true. as a, like as a, a sort of sample of one uh, study pool, we thought actually this is a platform that we're paying attention to. It's very likely that a lot of other people are. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the full screen real estate that the content itself was taken up. So you had total attention. Facebook and Instagram were, we usually used to say, oh, you need to account for the people having the sound off all the time. You need to have subtitles. You need to do X, Y, Z. TikTok almost encouraged you to use all of your senses because it relied on the fact that there was music tied to the the content. 
So in terms of where your attention was, it was taking up a lot more of your your sensory bandwidth, I guess. So you were the content was much more immersive. Uh, your attention was in one place. You weren't really distracted by other pieces of content on the feed at once. The comment section was really interesting, mm-hmm. I think, to us right near the start. So that was almost like a feed in itself. Like a lot of people treat the comments like a almost like a Reddit and mm-hmm. like a like a forum for different mm-hmm. things and it can turn into which was really interesting and you didn't really see that happening on Instagram as much um, or any other platforms as much and the tools for the creator to produce interesting ideas and that there are a lot more tools on there for mm-hmm. the creators to have a lot more freedom it encourages more ways to to create and share their stories than Instagram has in, in, in comparison I keep comparing it to Instagram just because that's the well. That's that's the thing. thing I'd actually noted thing, but... that down in that it feels like it was built with the other platforms' flaws in mind. And the majority of the things that I've got noted down, you've actually just mentioned anyway. So um, ideal. But <laughs> the there was two others that I noted down. I remember us talking about that we were like that. That is a really powerful tool that this platform has got the first one being the um, practically infinite amount of content you know you go on instagram you'd scroll through the stories and then maybe get bored at a certain point you go through the feed and maybe get bored at a certain point and the reason why people are getting bored is because the content that you're being served is only from people that you're following yes there's a, a, a discover tab but for the majority of the time you're actually just going down your feed of stories and, mm. and, and grid posts so eventually you're either running out of content or you're running out of stimulating content whereas on tiktok by design, you receive content from strangers. And there are so many more strangers in the world than there are people that you follow. So that all of a sudden there is a like a practically infinite amount of content that is being served to you based on your interests. So it's always going to be what you would consider a very high tier of content that you would want to consume, um, which is probably why you're seeing you know, time spent on app massively surpassing all, the rest mm. of the social media apps. The other one, is now this is a term that we've not used for like a year, but it is one that we coined about a year ago. And I remember saying this in the presentation, but tell me if you don't if you don't remember it. What is it? Engagement transaction cost. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So for those who don't, you probably won't know because we actually coined this um, at Campfire when we were looking at TikTok and why why people are spending so much time on the platform versus other platforms. And we coined this term engagement transaction cost because imagine you're on Netflix or on YouTube you'll notice yourself uh, taking quite a bit of time to make a decision on the piece of content you're going to watch. And the reason being is because the decision ma- the decision that you're making is the amount of time I'm about to spend on this piece of content, do I know that I'm going to get the payoff I deserve from that, be it in knowledge or entertainment? And so you're using certain signals from the things that you can see. So it might, on YouTube, for example, it'll be uh, the thumbnail, It'll be uh, the amount of views it's got. It'll be the name of the publisher. It'll be the length of the video. It'll be how recent the video was posted so you can gauge whether it's got a lot of views in a short amount of time, so it must be good, those sort of things. Similar with Netflix, you'll look at um, the description, the reviews, how much of a match it is, those sort of things. Um, So you've got a lot of pre-qualifiers to be able to make a decision. And because the investment is so large, because those videos are 10 minutes, usually on YouTube and on Netflix, 30 minutes or longer, it's a large cost so you're considering that cost for a long time, and rightly so, because it is a large cost. On TikTok, there are no pre-qualifying factors until you're already on the piece of content, so you're probably going to watch it anyway. Second of all, most pieces of content are between 6 and 15 seconds long, which is a very, very low cost for whatever payoff it is that you want to receive. So as a as a ratio between the transaction that you're making 
and the engagement you receive, it is a very fair deal. And and in short, in like layman's terms, essentially six seconds as a bet of my time is a very small cost to be able to receive the level of potential payoff I want to receive from this piece of content. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's almost happy like, to place that bet time and time again. It's almost like the... Uh... In terms of attention, if you look at it like a currency, it's almost like micro transactions in app exactly. where you're like, 10p, that's nothing. Yeah. And you get your bill at the end, or it's yeah. your screen time, and you're like, how exactly has, has it been six hours a day? That's a really good way of looking at it. It's literally like micro transactions. Because you're literally just like, oh, yeah, 5p, 5p, 5p. Yeah, 5P. yeah. Oh, you just... Jackpot, great, 5p, 5p, yeah, 5p. Yeah. And then you look at the end, and yeah, you're like, yeah, fuck, four hours. Yeah. How the hell has that happened? Um, but because of that, like, that was. That was one of the big things for me where I was like, it takes, you've got an infinite amount of content and it takes all the decision making away. Mm. You just have to consume at all times. There was a couple of really interesting points that you brought up. One was how content actually appears on your feed, mm. which if you don't look into TikTok a lot, you might not understand the algorithm. But from our understanding, because TikTok aren't massively open about this, but from mm. what we understand about the way that it works, when someone first uploads a piece of content, it will choose who to show it to and it will be a sample size of maybe 500 people mm -hmm. and it will choose people that have similar interests based on the content or the hashtags that you've used are local to you, which means they have similar accent or um, live in or around your area. Sometimes similar age and gender and things like that as well. And it will use this as like the pre-qualifiers to understand who are the most appropriate people to show this content to. I'm sure it uses many, many others, but this just gives you an idea of the kinds of factors that it's looking at when it first shows that first group of people. Um, it's who's most likely to engage out of everyone on the platform. And then out of those people, if more than say 80% of those people take any significant action on that content, whether it is liking it, sending it to a friend or watching it for a long period of time, it will then increase the sample size of that audience. Maybe it doubles or maybe it triples, but over time, it's effectively, if you are passing through each barrier or getting through each barrier of people and 80% of every increasing level or every increasing size of sample audience, mm -hmm. if you're consistently pleasing more than 80% of those people, then it will eventually increase your sample size to millions or mm -hmm. tens of millions that's where you get a constantly new feed of either really really good content really popular content with millions of likes or you get something with barely any likes but it's someone that mm -hmm. lives near you or it's like someone from around something your school speaking or something specifically is, to your niche, yeah, yeah yeah and that in that case you're in that pre-qualifying group so that's kind of how the the news feed bubbles up these really popular pieces of content consistently and then the other thing you compared it to netflix mm -hmm. interestingly when we were speaking to tiktok they didn't call it a social media platform they would call it an entertainment platform mm -hmm. which would not put it in the same group as facebook instagram snapchat it would put it in the same group as netflix youtube and other streaming services which i thought was interesting because if you look at it from that angle all of a sudden instead of looking at it like you're socializing with one another and telling people what's going on in your life and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. You're actually looking at it like there's millions of creators yep. all over the planet that are given the most complex set of content creation tools that have ever existed in an app. Mm -hmm. And then they're just allowed to do whatever. And it's this giant trial and error experiment mm -hmm. of what is the uh, what is the best content for this platform? Exactly. Which I think 
is one of the things that sets it apart from other social well other apps i guess if we yeah. if we're not using social it's a very it is a very rare app and i think that everything that we've mentioned there is I'd be lying if we said we knew all this from day one. We have um, obviously deduced a lot of that information from the time that we've spent working on different campaigns. Um, but I would say a good chunk of that was definitely necessary knowledge for when we entered into our first serious piece of work on TikTok, which was with the Inky List. So this is the next thing I want to talk about, and it is a, a really relevant topic to talk about, especially for us, because we started working with the Inky List um, two years ago. And it was really when we when we were strategizing our approach for... Uh, inky on the platform there was no real blueprint for us to go off and so the things that we've talked about there are almost like the fundamentals that we used to rationalize our approach and so i wanted uh, if it's all right with you i wanted to actually spend a bit of time talking about first of all how the strategy came to be how that evolved over time and got improved with the different types of creators we used layering on people with authority and then what the ad platform meant um, for us. And then after that, we can talk about um, the different successes that we've seen with other clients as well. If it's all right with you, I'll get started with how we came up with the strategy, because um, I remember remember that vividly. So a couple of things that we knew about the platform to be true for sure was that, like we've just mentioned, you get content served from strangers. It's not from people that you follow. It's content that um, you should enjoy because it's content that's served to you based on your interests um, and things that you've previously engaged with. And with that in mind, the challenge was how do, how do you increase brand awareness organically in a platform that operates that way, where it doesn't matter how many followers you've got, because content doesn't rise to the top based on how many followers you've got, it rises to the top based on those thresholds that Alex was just talking about. And so we're like, right, so everyone's a, a technically a stranger on your feed, you don't know them. It only matters the quality of content, because that's if it's a good piece of content, it'll rise to the top, and it needs to be about stuff that our ideal target audience will enjoy. And I was like, right, well, my experience on the app is if I'm scrolling through, I'll see um, things about things I care about. And I'll notice something or I'll start to pick up on something if there's something repeated. So, for example, if, a, like, if, if I'm getting served content about golf and someone mentions a certain new golf club and then 10 TikToks down, someone else mentions it, someone completely unrelated mentions it, and then that happens again 10 TikToks down, like, well, this golf club must be quite important then because three complete strangers have mentioned it and these three strangers have no way to be to know each other mm. why would they orchestrate that message if they don't know each other that's such a bizarre thing to do um so it's a very strong way to uh, like form opinion and change opinion on on things that are popular and so that was the initial thought process in that okay if we can actually make enough strangers talk about the same thing we might be we might be able to create quite a compelling feeling of Everyone seems to be talking about this. I need to know what this is, and I need to be part of it as well. Mm -hmm. And so for our initial three months, um, bearing in mind at the time that when we started working on TikTok, the ad platform wasn't made yet, so it was just an organic platform. So our initial approach was, let's speak to between 20 and 30 creators that doesn't matter how many followers they've got, let's just find the ones who make the best content about skincare and then brief them on what it is, what the type of content is we want them to create. The important thing that we did as well was study the way that they made the content and brief them very, very bespokely. So create briefs that we knew would work very well with their style of content. And then roll that out across the first month. And you can imagine how this would work where you got, you know, the idea seemed to work where you'd go down your feed and people that were already 
consuming and engaging with skincare content started to see this content come through about the Inky List and about their products and about the messaging that they're trying to get across. And so over time, as this happened month on month, this snowball effect of conversation um, started to happen where people felt like the world was talking about it and they started to join in and everyone else started to join in and it created a massive snowball effect for them. Um, so much so, I think our first month target was like a million, a million views, which at the time was still ambitious, but mm-hmm. you know we were sure we'd be able to do it. And I believe we hit six point five million views in that first month. Yeah, and um, that was with a relatively modest budget. As very well. modest, very very modest. But also, just you were talking about the briefs and them being fit to the creator. Mm. I think there's like another layer of the way that we briefed, in the sense that we would analyze that creator specifically and make sure we gave them something that was right for their channel and right for them mm-hmm. and that didn't seem just completely left field like some of the partnerships that you might have seen i can name some specifically but it's not <laughs> good sports um, but it's the idea that we were also bringing to them on multiple years of experience looking at what kinds of content people watch and why yeah, yeah. because sometimes i think you can work with creators and this is a problem that they sometimes have on tiktok in that they have pieces of content that do well but don't necessarily understand why they've done well Mm. or what triggers have caused that to go viral they just know that they talked about a specific thing maybe or and they'll continue to make that style of content until it dies a death or i I imagine that there's some creators that get superstitious about it and that they do a specific thing in a video so they have to do that every time Mm -hmm. whereas when we were briefing the creators we understood the psychology behind what causes people to watch content as well as what was going to be right for them so we could almost brief them something that was not just appropriate for their channel but had the absolute best chance of going viral Mm -hmm. or getting more views based on the wider tiktok experience so i think there was that those two layers exactly um, that i wanted to add to that yeah definitely that was our initial sort of way of working and it definitely worked. You know, we piled on more and more views and more and more brand awareness came with that over the first few months. And then two things, I remember a month four, two things happened. So um, a month four, the ads platform finally got released. And also we started to evolve our way of thinking about the creators, or like I said at the beginning, the strangers that we were using on the platform to create content. And so I remember sitting down and having the conversation along the lines of, we've, we use these creators because we know the content that people receive are from strangers. They don't know them. We get them to talk about things that we know the user would be interested in. Are there any strangers that you would listen to more than others? And everyone's like, well, no, they're all strangers. And I was like, well, that's not entirely true. There will be some strangers that if they said something, if a if hundred strangers came up to you and said something to you, one, for whatever reason, might stand out more than others. And we sat there and thought about it. And the best example we landed on was, well, if I if if I said that I've got a, a weird stomachache and the receptionist downstairs said, oh, it's this, I'd be like, okay, but also you, you, you're probably wrong as well. Like, you don't know what I've eaten. You don't know what my health's like. You could be on something, but, you know, I'll take that with a pinch of salt. I'll do my own Googling. However, if someone that I knew was a qualified doctor ended up telling me what it might be, I'd probably take their advice and, and say, all right, I'll pro- I'm going to likely do what you say because you're literally qualified at this. At this, mm-hmm. at this specific topic, you are qualified to have um, a specialist opinion, and it's probably going to be right. That then translated to, well, is there an equivalent in the space that we're dealing with? And in skincare, it was dermatologists. 
as soon as we did that, what we found was that we were deploying not only strangers who that, that were talking about things people were interested in, but people who could speak from a position of authority that commanded attention straight away. Because uh, skincare was, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a type of healthcare. It's looking after, you know, skins all over your body. It's, a, it's an important thing to look after. And so when someone is qualified and speaking from a place of authority about what is best to do with your skin and what is best to put on your skin, that was the next stage from a from an organic level. I think as well we've coupled that with um, what we call KOLs or key opinion leaders, where it didn't matter how many followers they had. What we were looking for was pe- were people that had a weighted opinion. In, to put it in layman's terms, we would work with um, dermatologists because they can speak with authority. We would work with KOLs because they're the people who make things cool. Mm-hmm. Like you're almost looking for the validation. Is this a health, healthy thing to do? This uh, dermatologist said so. Is this a cool thing to do? This KOL said so. And so that those are the type of people we then started to look for as well. And that really what is what drove the second wave of organics performance for us then we coupled that with paid and that's where things i guess skyrocketed really didn't they mm. you've got that layer down as well where you've got these key opinion leaders all talking about something when you were talking about the queue of strangers who would you most likely listen to those authority figures is definitely one and then i think the second is people that are very similar to you mm-hmm so they don't necessarily need to be an authority, but if they're in a very similar position and yes. you can recognize yourself in that person and they recommend something, then you're like, maybe that will work for mm-hmm. me as well. Yeah. So then the second layer down is that you have these people, these thought leaders and these KOLs talking about the product and introducing it to the market in a way that is authoritative. And then the second layer down, you start to see people that are similar to you also using this product saying, you know, I've seen this thing on tiktok i'm gonna give it a try they see results and then you start thinking all right so you know someone who is an authority in the space has told me about this and they've said that it works and someone that is very similar to me has also used this product and they've achieved results it makes sense that it might work for me this is probably worth trying that's that kind of layered approach that we would take to introducing a product to market Mm mm-hmm so once we'd got those creators, the last thing um, that came into play there was the ads platform. And it did supercharge it, but I want to be clear that the ads platform for us has has changed and the way that we use it has changed over the last two years. Um, but first of all, it came out and it was essentially the perfect brand awareness machine because we'd already created incredible brand awareness organically through our creators. But what happened was now we've got this tool where if a piece of content does really well and we know that piece of content is strong, what we can do is put basically media spend behind that piece of content so that you know it might have passed its half life and start to decrease its you know velocity of view gains we can apply more budget to that and reach the people that that piece of content hasn't been put in front of yet that we know those people will care about it if they see it and so that's the tactic that we took um there are a few interesting things about tiktok it was and still is incredibly cheap the rates that we see on their reminders of facebook in like 2014 like it's insane and so apply that with uh, sorry combine that with the way that they allow you to serve ads on there so for example you can um this was very you know surprising to us when it came out at first but it allows you the ad platform allows you to put paid spend through the influencers account meaning that from your ad account um, you can actually put spend behind that creator's piece of content and it appears as though that piece of content is coming from that creator in the feed the reason why that's important is because people are more likely to engage with a piece of content if it's come from a creator that they know and trust already. And so it increases the um, possibility of engagement already from that point. Um, but secondly, and this is more from a negotiation standpoint, that influencer is getting exposure from that ad spend. 
they will like there is a good chance that the person viewing that piece of content might go on their channel and scroll through other pieces of content which is beneficial to that creator and so when you're going through uh, negotiations for uh, with influencers and things like that um one of the big things is can you get usage rights for paid for example all of a sudden that's a much easier conversation to have because it's not just beneficial for the brand it is also beneficial for the creator where the spend that we would put on it yes um, the views are about thing about our product, but ultimately it's on your channel, and you're getting much more exposure on not only you but the rest of your content library. And so that um, again was beneficial not only for for negotiations, but too for the amount of engagement we saw on content, which was huge. That from that point, it was essentially uh, an iterate and like a, a test and learn and iterate sort of process from there, wasn't it? Bringing in different types of creators, um, trying different messaging, running with different campaigns, um, but all underpinned by this blueprint that we developed that, again, still not a lot of other agencies or brands seem to have picked up on yet. And I remember releasing the case study, um, I think it must have been January or February last year, hmm. and I remember getting texts from people like the feedback was like that's literally one of the best case studies I've seen and I think for us it was a quite a defining case study for the agency wasn't it where yeah absolutely um did put it did put us on the map as, as really understanding social and more so understanding TikTok inside and out which then led us to work with some you know incredible brands thereafter yeah everyone wanted the same treatment yeah everyone <laughs> yeah. wanted to know how we'd done it everyone yeah. wanted to know I mean everyone knew and I'm sure it's still coming up in conversations in boardrooms saying that we need to be on TikTok yeah and they don't know how to do it. And all of a sudden, there was this agency that had delivered this massive uh, amount of reach and views and sales and mm. performance-based results to say, it can be possible, mm. and this is how we, we did it. And yeah, that, that was definitely like a, an explosive introduction to the market, and, and especially into TikTok. Mm. And that is um, the last thing I want to talk about in this section, is uh, the final sort of thing in, in uh, that I would say of that period of time that we figured out about how to leverage TikTok as a performance channel. Um, because up until mid last year, even we'd considered TikTok as mainly a brand awareness channel. It's there for discovery. If you want tons of views and brand awareness, as well as, you know, it did cause other things like search uplift that we can get into later, but mainly brand awareness was the platform and uh, was, was what the platform was delivering, even through ads. Um, but something changed last year for us where we finally found the route to making TikTok work as a solo performance channel um, and it was entirely down to the content wasn't it yeah so we just found that working with influencers is is a really really good way of creating that social proof that layered social proof where you're introducing your product or your brand to the market in a way that is very native to tiktok so there's massive upside to doing it downside is that naturally because you're working with so many creators you've got so many pieces of content they're not necessarily marketeers you do have to spend a lot of time going back and forth. There's often lots of amends to get the results that you need. And sometimes they just miss a little something. They'll just miss something specific that you'll uh, that you'll have wanted in the content, but it's just not worth them reshooting the entire thing. And anyone that's worked with influencers on, on a long-term basis will know that feeling. Mm. Any brand that will have worked with influencers will know what I'm talking about. So we just thought, we want to be able to deliver very performance-driven results in one specific piece of content where we can control the outcome in its entirety. In the same way that we analyze everything else, we started analyzing what pieces of influencer content that we were producing were performing the best in terms of return on ad spend. And we started thinking, I wonder if we could create something similar in-house that not only looks similar, but 
that is written by marketeers that understand every obstacle to purchase that this customer might have uh, to buying this product that's featured in the video and then shoot it all ourselves, have complete control over the output, have control over things like the lighting, the the scenery, mm-hmm. where it's shot, how it's shot, the exact script, the accent that's in the video, whether or not it's male or female, what the person in the video looks like, you know, everything, and present it as a piece of effectively UGC um, that looks like it comes from a creator, looks like it's been created by someone on the platform that is just a TikTok native creator. But actually in the background, it is a very well-engineered, scripted, obstacle-to-purchase, overcoming piece of content. Mm-hmm. Who did we do that for first? Revolution. Yeah. Revolution was the first one. I remember it was their um, Midnight Allure makeup set. Um, and if, do you remember the, the CPA that they'd initially set for that? 25 quid. It was 25 It was pounds. a break-even. Break-even, 25 Because the, the palette was 25 quid to yeah. buy. And um, I remember that was the first piece of content we made for that. And the CPA, we I remember we we did it because we were like we want to test this. We we believe this is. And they run ads before, and they were getting twenty five. They were getting twenty five, and we believed that we could beat it with a piece of what we call in house UGC, and so they let us make one and run it. And I believe we achieved four pounds seventeen. Four yeah. Four pounds seventeen pence as a CPA, which is like five x reduction, which is wild. So that so for them we pentupled the revenue that we've been generated by that specific advert. Which is insane, but it does it does go to say because the platform does say it themselves. You know, make don't don't make ads, make TikToks, mm. and it does sound a little bit of a cheesy line when they say it. But it is if if in practice you can find what exactly that means and how to do it correctly, it is true. Yeah, that's the that's the key. You can't just sort of film something that you think is going to work. You have to know. You really have to know what you're doing. Yeah. You have to go beyond just understanding TikTok. I think you need to understand if you if you're looking for sales and performance specifically. You have to have a deep understanding of the product, your audience, the platform, the content they usually consume. Yeah, how yeah. like the intonations in that. Like, it's like yeah. the full understand. Like you basically need to get into the entire mindset of the user and yeah. what they typically do, and then casually slot in. Yeah, into it and boil it all down into a one minute video. Yeah, sounds easy. <laughs> sounds easy. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the 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 next part that I wanted to talk about was essentially just trying to offer as much. Um, useful information to anyone listening to this podcast about what what TikTok has evolved from and we think is going to evolve into in time. Things like how can different size brands approach TikTok effectively? What are common mistakes that um, some brands make on TikTok? Um, before we get there, I've got one last thing I want to talk about our experience last year, which is the moment that we decided Spark, which is a, a tool that we've built in-house. And we can talk about what that is, but what happened that led us to creating Spark and then what is Spark? What happened was we were working with a brand called Saint-Tropez, a self-tanning brand, if you haven't heard of them. And we had to launch their Ashley Graham collaboration. Uh, we had to. We were. We had the opportunity <laughs> to, to launch their Ashley Graham collaboration. Worked with lots of creators over a three-month period and we generated 44 million views, smashed through the targets that were set. Everyone was very happy. But we were asking for some additional information from their side mm. after we, we'd wrapped and we were in the reporting phase. And we were interested in things like, did you see any effect on any other channels from the activity that we were doing on TikTok? And arguably, we can't say for sure, but the correlation is quite clear in the sense that versus the previous three months that we'd been running all of this activity on TikTok, 
their organic search for Saint-Tropez increased by 35%, which for a brand like Saint-Tropez is a massive number. Mm. And they saw that correlation. We can't attribute it directly to TikTok at this point, but said, that's interesting. And then we start going to our other brands, whether it was Glowhub that we were working with at the time, whether it's Revolution, start asking, are you seeing any uplift in uh, organic search? Everyone replies, yes, yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's sort of correlating with when you're running your TikTok activity. And so that's how we realized that the work that we were doing on TikTok was having a direct effect on what was happening for them in search, showing that TikTok's got this huge halo effect and demonstrating that if you are very active on TikTok, people are then going to search for your product uh, later in Google, which we found was really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the next the next one is is the link. So obviously, at this point, we now know that whatever it is that we're doing on TikTok is having this halo effect and affecting other platforms around it. We also recognized a link between the two platforms in that both seem to have a trending feature, um, Google Trends. A lot of agencies and a lot of businesses use Google Trends for reactive campaigns, both on social and on PR, um, for keyword strategy, for PPC, um, even on for SEO. It's a very powerful tool. What we'd seen is that TikTok is now also uh, a platform that creates and can show trends uh, that people take part in. And we wanted to see if there was a link. And so we ran some experiments of our own. Um, we researched trends as they were rising and things that we had also manufactured on TikTok and basically sat and waited to see whether they would trend on Google. And at first they didn't, and then they did. Basically, in short, it took, in some cases, four weeks and in some eight weeks for the trend, once it had peaked on TikTok, to then start to show as a Google trend, which basically showed us that if you can find and track Trends on TikTok, as they're growing, or even make them like we had been doing for the past year, what you've essentially got is a batch of, you know, a narrative that you can react to or use for reactive content for social and PR, stuff that you can use for SEO content, uh, blog content, things that you can uh, use for your keyword strategy. And you've got that information for between four and eight weeks before anyone else can see it. And it was like, well, if we can, if we can just spot this manually, is there a way to do this all the time. Is there an automated way to pull these trends so that we know exactly what's bubbling up on TikTok, in short, so that we know exactly what is going to be trending on Google Trends between four and eight weeks before it starts to actually trend on Google Trends? Turns out that is possible. And we have spent quite a long time building this tool because it it's quite complex, if I do say so myself, considering our input in building the thing. Um, but it is essentially, long story short, it will track trends, both manufactured and organic trends that are happening on TikTok, and rank them based on their um, trend velocity, which is, I'm not going to tell you exactly how we calculate that, because that would be giving the game away. Um, but trend velocity, which will show you exactly how hot of a trend that is or not, and will indicate whether you should talk about it or not. Um, we've also now we're currently working on a way to get that to show your window of opportunity so that it will show you, you know, based on trends that have grown in this way in the past, we've typically seen that they will then decrease in the next seven to eight days or in some cases 
two weeks or whatever it is, you can map that across previous um, growth rates and, and um, decay rates of trends. And so with that information, we can now provide a window of opportunity, meaning you've got a week to capitalize on this trend. So you can the, the end point of that is, can you then go to your teams and say, do we have enough time to turn this around or not for a reactive campaign? And you know how long you've got. Mm. So it's a really powerful tool to know what you should talk about, how long you've got to talk about it and decide whether you can do it or not. Mm. Um, and also that information is before anyone else gets to see it. And we've got that in one single dashboard, haven't we? So that you've got that view of what is happening on TikTok and mm. what is worth talking about on TikTok right now. But then we've integrated things like your stock and margin data, your organic search trends, mm -hmm. organic search trends that are happening on Google, your site search trends, so that you can look at, okay, what do we really need to talk about as a brand? Mm -hmm. What is going on in the sort of wider sphere on Google? Mm. And then what is bubbling up, bubbling up yeah. as a as a new trend and then how can I link all of these things together yeah. so that these new trends on TikTok it will result in sales mm -hmm. for for me and my brand yeah and that I think that was one of the biggest things for us last year wasn't it from TikTok where TikTok went from being this siloed platform um that you can sometimes link with other social channels but it is having this halo effect and now it's not only linked to other channels it's directly influencing things that happen on other channels and is you know we're at a position now where we're able to use things like spark as a bit of a linchpin across multi-channel activity where you can either manufacture trends like we have um, and use those as narratives that go cross channel and you can also track trends from TikTok because that's where trends are now starting and then use those as narratives that go cross channel ahead of everyone else who is still using Google Trends and that was a big thing for us you know TikTok is is essentially evolving into where conversation starts and where trends are born and also where people find an information which is something we can talk about next as how TikTok is evolving over time because it is now becoming a search engine like a very powerful search engine where people look for information as well so we are actually going to stop here. We were we were getting quite into that conversation and there's clearly a lot of information we want to share. So what we're going to do is split this episode into two parts. Everything you've just heard was part one and about our experience and everything we've learned on the platform. Part two that we'll be uh, releasing this week will be specifically about everything that we can offer from an advisory point of view um, and anything that you can action for your brands immediately to take away. Thank you uh, again for listening and we'll see you in part two of this episode. Thank you.